Today we're and looking at the power of the resurrection. Now, and this is something that I want to be able to look at. Uh, we're going to be starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read a large text. And there's only going to talk about a couple parts of the verses. But starting in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you that the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, one of the twelve, and that he was seen of another of above five hundred brethren at once, and whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the last, the least of the prophets, that I am not meant to be called a prof- apostle, but I, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, that I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Wherefore, whether I or they, so we preach, and so we believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how is it that some among you... Don't lost my place. How is it that some among you that there is say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ when he raised him not. So if so be that he the dead rise, that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ dead raised? And if Christ be not raised, our faith is in vain, and we are yet in our sins. just want to look at this. What is the very essence of Christianity? Jesus died for our sins. Not just our sins. He died for the sins of the world. This does not mean that everybody goes to heaven because their sins are paid for, because we are still imperfect. You know, when you stand before God, we have to stand before him dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will stand before him. Because Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So the best things that we can do as human beings, God says, it's worthless. Now, how many people have you ever gone out and witnessed to and they say, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven? I love having that answer, and my answer is very simple, you're not. And neither am I. Nobody is good enough to go to heaven. Otherwise, Jesus could, would not have had to die for our sins. He died for our sins because we could not pay the debt for our sins. That's why he goes, and that's what Paul says. He came and he died. He became sin. And this is what we talked about last week. We talked about the crucifixion. On the cross, Jesus became sin. And the Father and the Holy Spirit turned their back upon Jesus. And I've shared with you so many times, the Father and the Holy Spirit paid a price for our sin as well. They had to separate themselves from Jesus, which was part of who they were for all of eternity. The Father paid a debt for, the, for our sins. 
Not necessarily as bad as Jesus. Jesus went through the physical, but I'm telling you, being turned away from the Father was the hard thing he went through. To be separated from the Father. We don't understand that. We can't understand that. You know, think of the closest relationship you have in your life and then think of it being totally severed and you come 1% close to what it was for Jesus. And that would be a bad change. And then Paul goes on to say he was raised. And this year we're not going to go into all the proofs for the resurrection. We've done that in several years. But Paul gives a long story, uh, a recitation of the gospel. The apostles saw him, 500 other people saw him, and he makes a point of saying, and most of them are still alive. So in other words, if you don't believe me, Corinthians, why don't you just go to Jerusalem and talk to some of these people? Okay? How many, how many people, how many eyewitnesses do you have to have to believe a story? In the Bible, it tells us two. Two eyewitnesses to an event can get a conviction. Paul was saying, we've got 500, you know, plus the apostles, plus me, plus... You know, plus he's other, James, uh, Jesus' brother. He's going, we've got plenty of witnesses. And then he goes, the re resurrected. And Paul starts his testimony in here. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He hated the followers of the way, which is what Christianity was called at that time. He hated them because he saw them as being in opposition to the Jewish testimony and, and way. Because in the Judaism, you had to do good works to earn heaven. You give your sacrifice, you do good things, and hopefully you would end up in heaven. Even though that's not what the scriptures say, that is the way that they practice, and even worse today without a temple. They have actually codified the idea that do more good than bad gets you into heaven. If they even believe in heaven. If you know, there's a lot of Jews that aren't spiritual. And... Paul was saying, I was one of those worst. I was killing Christians. I was taking them off to prison and taking them where they were going to die. And he says, and God changed me. The power of the resurrected God. And I hope you remember Paul's story. He's riding to Damascus to go arrest Christians, and bright light comes along, and he shines all around him, knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and Jesus talks to him. And Paul goes, who are you, Lord? <laughs> And he goes, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And from that day on, Paul was a changed man. The power of God's grace and the resurrection changed Paul. We want to look, and part of my thing today is I want to look at just some biblical people who had their lives changed. Because I'm really looking at the power of the resurrection. God wants to change our lives, not leave us wallowing in our sin and wallowing in defeat. And I meet lots of people who are wallowing in defeat. They won't accept God's grace. They won't accept the power of the resurrection. And I'm hoping after today we'll get some people that are ready to change and really draw upon God. In uh, Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 62, and Peter was beneath in the palace there came one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And you were with this Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I knew not, neither understand what you are saying. And he went out to the porch, and, and, the, and the rooster crowed. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again, and, and a little after, as he stood by, said again to Peter, Surely you are one of them. For you are a Galilean, and your speech agrees thereof. 
But he began to curse and swear, I know not this man whom you speak. And the second time the, the rooster crowed, and Peter called into mind the word that Jesus said, before the cock crows thrice, you shall deny me thrice. And when he thought upon it, he wept. Peter denied Jesus. Now, Peter ended up being in a pretty sad state after this. Remember, just hours before this event, he had told Jesus, I, the rest of these guys will leave, but I will die for you. And I'm sure Peter believed it when he said it. You know, he wasn't lying. He wasn't talking you know, in hyperbole. He really meant that he was ready to die for Jesus. Matter of fact, in Gethsemane, he's the one that drew the sword out and chopped Malchus's ear off. Okay? Here, one man, a fisherman who doesn't know how to fight, is going to fight off an entire uh, squad of Roman uh, uh, soldiers. You know, he was ready to die. Six hours later, he's denying Jesus to a little girl. You know, he's ready to fight the, uh, the army, and he's denying that he knows Jesus, you know, uh, uh, just uh, six hours later. Now, we think about this, but, you know, we see again, though, in uh, Acts chapter 3, we see the redemption of Peter when God calls him and sees, see the boldness of him. In, in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, And Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of the prayer, our prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried there, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, and asked for alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk. And he took him by his right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, was, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he who asked for sighted alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which he had, had happened to him. Peter, after having denied Jesus, boldly uses Jesus' name. Before this, at the Pentecost, it was Peter who delivered the first major message to the people. 3,000 people got saved on that day. Peter, the one who had denied Jesus. We left out the fact that Peter went out, Peter left, he was going to go back to fishing. Jesus is dying, I'm going back to be a fisherman. I, I know how to fish, and uh, I, I put my, I, I bet my life on the wrong horse, and he died, and I'm going to go back to fishing. Okay? And Jesus went back and called him. Come back. What can you do that God will not forgive? There's nothing that you can do that God will not forgive. The one thing that we won't be forgiven is to deny Jesus. If you reject the sacrifice of Jesus, you'll go to hell. It's unforgivable. If you've accepted Jesus in your heart, you have the power to live because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he will change your life. He changed Peter. He changed John because John also wasn't all that, all that bold either. He wasn't around. You know, we look at uh, John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, 
was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I see his hands in, the, in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I thrust my palm into his side, I will not believe. Now a lot of people like to give Thomas the name Doubting Thomas. I like to change his name because Thomas is the person that I would have been if I was the disciple. I want to call him the realist. He was the rationalist. I saw him die on a cross. I saw us put him in the grave. And I don't know what you guys were smoking last night when you saw him, but I, you, know, you have some mass hallucination. I would have been Thomas. If I hadn't been sitting there when Jesus sh showed up, I would have been Thomas. So I hate putting the name Doubting Thomas on him. Okay, he was not believing. Okay, he was not believing that Jesus had raised. You know, do you know what happened to Thomas after this event? We don't hear much about Thomas after this event. You know, Jesus comes, sees him, and he says, you know, Jesus says, put your hand in my, you know, thing. And nothing tells us that he did. You know, he just bowed down and said, my Lord and my God. Thomas ended up taking the gospel to India, where he died as a martyr. Every one of the disciples die as a martyr except for John. Why? Because the power of the resurrection changed their lives. How much is the power of the resurrection changing your life? Do you live in defeat? I meet lots of people who says, well, you, don't ju you just don't understand. I am just so caught up in this temptation, I cannot get victory. And I will say, you are absolutely right. You cannot get victory. Be crucified and, res and be resurrected in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can get victory. People go, well, you don't understand. I'm just Irish, so I have a bad temper. I lose my temper all the time because I'm this, I'm that. No, you lose your temper because you're a sinner that wants to lose your temper. Okay? You, you get into drugs and alcohol and all the other sins and because you are a sinner who gives in to the temptation. Now, we need to understand that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is our natural desire to sin. You don't believe me? Let somebody smack you across the face, and what is your first instinct? You know, your first instinct isn't, oh, that felt so good, you know, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> now, that is not your first instinct. You know, for any of us. <laughs> Now, we may have trained ourselves to have God's instinct to come a lot quicker and not get into the fight that we want to get into when, they, when we first get, get hit. When somebody says something bad about us or negative about you or attacks you verbally, how many of us stand by, okay, I'm going to just love you the way God told me to love you? Now, that takes a lot of training to be able to do that. Usually, it's we get into a verbal battle with them. And that does nothing in the long run. It gave into the flesh. Might, it makes us, might make us feel good in the middle of it. I got that victory. I got the... Afterwards, when we realize what we did to the testimony of God and, the, and, our, and our life, we go, why in the world did I even do that? Now, how do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? First thing and most importantly, we live in one of my favorite verses, and people here know what it is, Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We let him crucify our flesh. And I say let him because he's not going to make us do it. You want to live in, in uh, defeat? You want to live in you know, misery? God says, that's fine, if that's really what you want to do. 
the children of Israel wandered around in the desert for 40 years because of their non-compliance with God's rules. Now, they were out of Egypt. They weren't slaves to Egypt anymore, but they were slaves to their own flesh. All they did for 40 years was murmur, gripe, and complain. Now, how would you like to be the leader of a group that's always complaining? Now, you know, if you've ever been around anybody who complains, it's hard enough just once in a while. Moses had them for 40 years. Moses, we don't have any water. We don't have any food. We don't have a place to stay. Why are we moving around all the time? It's hot. It's, it's, it's cold at night, and we're in the desert. It's cold at night. It's hot in the daytime. You know, God keeps moving us around. You know, with, are we lost? Just imagine all of that over and over and over again. Why? Because they refused to enter into God's victory. They came to the, the promised land and they said, uh, there's giants over there, uh, God, you're, you brought us here to kill us. But God wanted to kill them. He killed them in Egypt when he, when he was given the plagues on Egyptians. And yet, how many times do we not see the blessings of God? You know, we get in the middle of some tribulation, some trial, and we forget all about all the good things God has given us. One of my favorite songs that we sing sometimes is Count Your Blessings. Because it is so easy to get focused on the bad things that are happening. It's human nature. Oh, it's misery. It's terrible. Everything's going bad. And when you're in the middle of the trial, and you're not focused on God, and you're focused on the flesh, you're going to focus on the bad. You know, and this is the thing we've got to be careful of. Are my thoughts God's thoughts? How do we get God's thoughts? We get into God's word. Romans 2, uh, 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word. How do we get it? You know, we just get into his word. You know, getting saved is the first part. We recognize we're a sinner and that we deserve hell. Then we accept Jesus Christ and say, God, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. Come into my life and forgive me, or some version of that prayer. And he comes in and he indwells us. The Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. You know, and I love it. God changes us. When people tell me, I just can't change, you let God change you. I've only been walking with God for about 40 years, and I know what it's like to just have God change me. Usually it's very simple. God says, are you ready to give this up? Well, no, God, I don't think I'm ready to give this up. Okay, well, then he puts a little bit of trouble in my life and comes back a little bit later and says, are you ready to give this up? Now, I used to be a very hard-headed person. I, you know, it used to take me years to finally say, yes, God. I'm getting better. I usually say, yes, God, pretty quick. Because I know one thing that's true is if I don't say yes, life gets miserable. And God is always going to bring trials into our life anyway. But you know, when we're focused on him, how many of you have ever gone through the middle of a hardship and you kind of look back over that time and you're going, wow, just what, what happened? I didn't know all this thing was going around. Or somebody comes up to you, how did you get through all that hard time? And you're going, what hard time? And you look back and going, well, there was a lot that happened this last year, but your eyes were focused on God. If our eyes are focused on God, and we're looking at him, we live in Romans 8, 28. All, for all things work together for, together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. We live in the fact that God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. You know, 
How many of us have ever been in a place where we think that God went on vacation in our life? <laughs> you know, don't raise your hands, but, you know, but we've all been there. You know, God, did you lose your marbles? Did you get lost? Did you forget about me? <laughs> and God's saying, you're in a test. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to turn to me? Now, none of us are ever going to say, God, did you lose your marbles? Probably. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're thinking that, aren't we? We really are thinking it, God, you, you've totally lost your mind. You, know, you forgot all about me. How can this be good? One thing I've learned about over life in those time walking with God is when I get past it and I look back, I usually see where it was good. And if I don't, the one thing I do know is when I get to heaven, God will show me how it was good. And we use this example all the time because I love this. You know, if, if you've ever seen somebody do needlepoint, or, uh, you know, if you look at the wrong side of the picture, <laughs> it looks pretty messy. There's knots and hanging strings, and, and you look at that and go, what are you making all that mess for? And then you flip it over, and there's a beautiful picture. We're on the wrong side of eternity looking at our life. And we're going, God, why are you making such a messy picture? There's strings over here. There's knots over here. You've got this line coming from way over here over to here. God, uh, you know, you're, not, you're supposed to be a great artist. What is, your, what is it that you're doing? We get into heaven, and we'll look at it and say, oh, that's what all of that was about, if we're even thinking about the other side. All we're going to see is the beautiful picture. The power of the gospel changes lives. My life was changed when God came into it. Now, I was 10 years old when God came into my life. And you know, I tell this people, people all the time, I had a terrible temper as a 10-year-old. I was always in fights, always in trouble, always making trouble. And God changed that overnight. And people look at me, I can't picture that being, well, we're talking 49 years later with God changing me. The power of grace. Somebody looking at Paul would never have believed that he was a persecutor of the church. Because he was taking the beatings and, and, and uh, being stoned and all these other things that they were doing to him. They're going, Paul, you were, you were a persecutor of the church? The power of the resurrection can change you to the place where nobody's going to recognize who you were. Because we are new creations in Christ. But God is such a gentleman, he's going to say, are you wanting it to happen? Do you want to live in defeat and misery your whole life, or do you want to live in the power of the victory of God? First step is to become his child. The second step is to make sure that he's changing who you are. And this is not trying to go in and let me do good works, God. I'm going to, I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to strive real hard to get perfect. He comes in and changes us. When we get saved, we get filled by the Holy Spirit. And I've described this. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we are saved. The Holy Spirit changes us. And the picture that they use in that baptism is the immersion. And we think about this, and I've used this example so many times. I don't know how many of you have ever made pickles. You slice up your vegetables that you're going to pickle, you put it in the vinegar. What does the, the, what does the vegetable you put in the vinegar do to become a pickle? Absolutely nothing. It stays in the vinegar. The vinegar does the work of changing that vegetable into a pickle. How do we live a victorious life with God and be changed? We stay in the Holy Spirit and let him do his work. Most of us keep trying to jump out of it. Don't want to be changed. Don't want this to happen. Don't want that to happen. And we try to get out from underneath that changing. God is going to change us. Living a Christian life is a really easy thing to do. 
Let go. Surrender to God. And then do the things he's asked you to do, but not because you're doing it to try to get points with God. I've met lots of people in Christian churches. They're doing things like, well, I come to church every, every Sunday. Check. I read my Bible every day. Check. I said a five-minute prayer to God every day. Check. Uh, I, I fed some poor people. Check. I made some, I made some uh, calls to, to some sick people. Check. And I'm putting together this list and thinking they're doing God some great service. Now, those are all good things, probably. But they're not going to get us into heaven. They're not going to make God happy with us. He wants us to be changed. He wants us to be his child. What a difference it is when I just say, God, what do you want me to do? You know, I've told people, God, I do believe, wants us in church each week. He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much more as you see the day approaching. But there's also maybe a time when going to church is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be helping somebody else. If that's what God tells you to be, being in church is the wrong place to be. Now, church is very valuable. You know, we need to fellowship with one another. We need to be the teaching that we get in church. As long as it's a good church, we're, we need that church. But if we make it our religious activity that says it's my check mark that I went to church, we're going for the wrong reason. If you keep hearing the gospel message and rejecting the gospel message, being in church is a terrible place to be because you're going to get a hard heart toward it and eventually not hear it. In Exodus, when God was working with Pharaoh, it said Pharaoh hardened his heart in the first four or five uh, plagues, and then it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There comes a place where you rejected God so much that he just says, okay, you're done. Don't get to that place. Have a soft, pliable heart that responds to God. Let him change your life. And we want to look at this today as we look at the resurrection. Jesus, victorious over death, brought change to 12 men who changed the world. They literally changed the world. And we, in our day and age, don't realize how big a change that was. But I want to challenge you with is we are returning today to what the world was like before the apostles turned the world upside down. People not caring for one another, being ready to kill one another, being able to ignore one another. You know, uh, it was not uncommon back before Christianity for those things to happen. We read that David, when he was headed out of Ziglag to attack the Amalekites, found an Egyptian who was left behind three days earlier with no food and water. Why? Because he got sick. Normal, normal in that day. You're sick, you're worthless, you're going to die. You might, if you live, be good. If you, do, if you die, great, you know, we're going on. That was normal, and that's becoming the attitude of today. We are returning to what was before Christianity as we get further and further away from God. The disciples turned the world upside down. They brought God's love to the world. There's God's care for the world. God indwells us and asks us, I've shown you grace. Can you show grace? I've shown you love. Will you show love? I've given you mercy. Will you give mercy? First John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. And because he first loved us, we love him. And we show other people love. And hopefully they will be drawn to Christ because of the love that they see. And it works. It really does. Think about why you became a Christian when you became a Christian for those who are Christians. You know, usually it was somebody showing the kindness of God to you. 
and it impressed you. And then you watched him for a little while, probably, and said, is this person real? And you probably even said, is this crazy person real? <laughs> They're a little insane. They don't think like I do. When we're a Christian, we should not think the way the world thinks. The more we're in the Word, the more we're in the Holy Spirit, the more we're following God, the less we will think like the world. Will we ever get perfect? I wish so, but we won't. But we will get closer and closer to the way God thinks until we die. Hopefully, for those who are saved, you're not the same person today that you were last year, a decade ago, 20 years ago. That you can say, I love God more today. I respond more like God in the situations today than I did back then. If that's not your testimony, you need to analyze and say, do I know God? Is he in me? Is he changing my life? If, he's, if you're the same person you were you know, a decade ago, two decades ago, or however long it was since you got saved, you need to really look and say, did I truly get saved or did I just say a bunch of words? Because God is in the business of changing us. He makes us a new creation when we get saved. What has changed in your life by being saved? Are you living in the power of the victory of the resurrected Lord? Or are you living in defeat? We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We want to, Lord, ask right now, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus, today is a day for salvation. I want everybody to bow your heads and don't, you know, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus and would like to say, I want to know him today, you just need to say this prayer, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve to be punished. I do, can I never meet your standard. Jesus, I believe you saved. Come into my life and save me. If there's anybody who wants to, has said that prayer today, raise your hand and, you know, just so I will know that somebody did. God knows anyway. Right, for the rest of us, I want us to look. Are we in a place where we have accepted the power of the resurrection? I want to challenge each person in here to just lift up a God, prayer to God today. Something along the lines, God, help me to live in the power of your resurrection. Change me. I surrender my life to you to be my Lord and Master and have you guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. And I hope that there's many people that have taken that challenge to make God their Lord. Turn, turn to God in your power of, your, of the resurrection.